KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Stopping the Super Bowl from becoming a super spreader. If there's any chance that you're infected, you know, don't, don't expose others. Stay home. There'll be another Super Bowl next year. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. This is KPBS Midday Edition. The Navy issues its report on racial bias. We have people in our in our services that don't want racism in our ranks, and they are willing to step up and root it out and speak up. And some Super Bowl alternative arts events coming up on our weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. Hey, hey, hey. This is Parker Edison, host of the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. The cool thing about joining KPBS is you make one simple donation, and that money ripples into supporting everything else you see and hear on KPBS, including podcasts like this one you're listening to right now, making a place for fresh voices and perspectives to be heard. And that's music to my ears. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click that blue Give Now button, and donate what you can. All right? Thanks. Just as the number of new COVID cases is going down and vaccination rates are going up, here comes Super Bowl Sunday. San Diego health officials are concerned that pent-up energies and an eagerness to return to normal might make this Sunday another COVID super spreader event. Public Health Officer Wilma Wooten is urging all San Diegans that if they're going to watch, stay home and share the day with their household members only. But many restaurants and bars across the region are preparing for an outdoor socially distanced Super Bowl afternoon. So what are the risks in gathering to watch the game? Is an outdoor restaurant safer than an indoor party? Should you mask up before you cheer for your team? Joining me is UC San Diego epidemiologist Richard Garfine, professor in the Herbert Wertheim School of Public Health. And Professor Garfine, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. How do big gatherings result in increased cases? Obviously, some of the people who are in the gathering have to be sick, right? Not necessarily. With the coronavirus, uh, a large proportion of the people who are infected don't have any symptoms at all or symptoms that are so mild that they don't really recognize them as being sick. And so uh, people can attend an event and think that they're fine and at the same time spread the the virus to other people who will go on to get sick, or they may also be asymptomatic, but they may spread it to somebody who is vulnerable to be having severe illness from coronavirus. And now there's at least one more contagious variant circulating in San Diego. That must increase the risk. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm glad that you bring that up, Maureen. It's the B117 strain. Some people um, know it as the United Kingdom strain. This 
strain has been estimated to be anywhere from 30 to 70% more infectious than the currently circulating strains in the United States. So if you have another strain that's about 50% on average more infectious, that means that even if it's not more deadly, just the fact that more people become infected, it'll increase the the rates of um, severe disease and the mortality rates due to COVID. So it is a big concern um, and it could potentially offset a lot of the progress that we've made in reducing the number of cases in our community. If you were attending an outdoor event uh, at a restaurant or for Super Bowl Sunday, I know that you wouldn't be, but if you were, how would you keep yourself safe? If people are attending out, um, outdoor events or going to you know, bars or restaurants, uh, which is a great time and I love doing it myself, then there are things that you can do to try to minimize the risk. So first of all, just be really aware of your surroundings. The closer people are together, the riskier it is. So Clearly, when you're in an outdoor setting, you want it to really be outdoors. So if, if the venue has put up plastic sheeting or a tent, and so basically they've created an indoor space outside, that's still an indoor space. So you really want it to be outdoor with good open ventilation. Next, when you get to the venue, arrive and wear your mask. Wear your mask as you walk in um, and keep it on until you get to your table. And you can even keep it on until the foods and drinks are delivered. At that point, um, you know, hopefully you're just with the people that you arrived with, um, so you know who your group of people are, um, and you can take off your mask. And then if you need to get up and use the restroom or go to the bar and get another drink, put your mask back on. You know, you might end up standing in a line or being in a crowd, or you might end up bumping into a friend who wants to stop stop and chat. And if that happens, you'll be much safer if you have a mask on, as, as well as that other person. Um, you may be wearing a mask, but if the person that you're talking to isn't masked, there's still a chance that you could be inhaling some of, of their air and, and put yourself at risk. Now, National City distributed what it calls a Super Bowl safety kit, which included N95 face masks, hand sanitizer, and shields. And that seems to assume that despite public health advice, people will be gathering, gathering even in their homes to see the game. So if friends are coming over to the house, can you make it a safe event? Yeah, there's a lot of things that could be done in a household to keep things safe. First and foremost, if there's any chance that you're infected, you know, don't, don't expose others. Stay home. There'll be another Super Bowl next year. For people who are gathering, ideally sit outside, you know, move the TV set outside. If you can't do that, at least open up doors and windows, try to get good air circulation in. You can turn on fans, um, ideally blowing the air outwards from the house so that you circulate some new air into the house. And another thing that I think a lot of people aren't aware of is that you can turn on the uh, fan on the, the um, home ventilation system. So rather than setting the thermostat to auto, set, set the fan to on so that it's constantly circulating air, even if it's not heating or cooling it. And you can also replace the air filter in your air conditioner uh, to a higher filtration filter like a MERV 13, number 13, and that will help to um, filter out any virus that's being circulated in the air. So ventilation is really important. You want people not to be breathing each other's air. Also wear masks. Um, The N95 is a very efficient mask, which um, filters out uh, most of the viral particles that might be in the air. A surgical mask, like we normally um, see people wearing, is uh, less efficient at 
uh, uh, filtering out particles, and a homemade face mask, a cloth mask, is probably a little less efficient than most um, surgical masks. And so, um, if you're going to wear, you we want people to wear masks and wear them wear them correctly. They should fit tightly. They shouldn't have um, big pockets that puff out on the side where the air is really just circulating out around them. Um, and um, and and in some cases, if people are really concerned, they can even double mask. Um, the other thing that we want to keep in mind is um, avoiding close contact with each other. So I know everybody is um, excited to see their friends and their family, but try to avoid the hug. I know it's, it feels awkward, but um, you know, for at least the next few months until we get this pandemic under control, the less physical contact we have, the better. One last thing is, again, even though there hasn't been documented uh, cases of transmission of COVID from food, there is always that possibility of, of surfaces. And so wash your hands frequently. I've been speaking with UC San Diego epidemiologist Richard Garfain. I want to thank you so much for all that information. You're very welcome. The Navy has come out with its long-awaited report on racial bias. Task Force One Navy was created in June after the death of George Floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis police. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh says despite critics saying the effort feels watered down, Navy leadership says they intend to create lasting change. There are only a handful of African-American admirals or flag officers in the Navy, and few people of color in some of the Navy's most celebrated communities, such as naval aviation, where the head of the task force, Rear Admiral Alvin Halsey, is from. I tell you, being here one of at this point one of eight black flag officers in the Navy, it's a lonely spot. I think the Navy's committed. I think we can uh, make some gain some ground here in what we're doing. The task force worried that their effort to root out discrimination would be caught up in the past administration's targeting of diversity training, says Dr. Charles Barber. He's the consultant who worked on the report. Some things will now be put back into the draft, he says, with a new attitude at the White House. Like, well, just we had training that kind of talked about bias. We we had some some content that did talk a little bit about uh, the concepts of, of, of white privilege and how discussions center around, you know, white privilege. So those are the things that we want to put back in. Critics say the report stresses inclusion and diversity, but didn't look more directly at overt racism. John Clark is a recently retired commander who writes about his experience as an African-American in the Navy. To me, what was disappointing, what was not in the report, uh, there was not a direct discussion of de facto racism and segregation, of the current state of the Navy and why we are where we are. A recently released 2017 Pentagon survey showed roughly one in five sailors and officers experienced racial or ethnic discrimination or harassment that year, more than any other service. Clark says the Navy's process for filing discrimination complaints is broken. We have people in our in our services that don't want racism in our ranks, and they are willing to step up and root it out and speak up. But at the same time, you have some other people, mainly older white men, that want to retain that position of power. Unlike a similar report at the Pentagon level, the Navy didn't address hate groups in the ranks. The report did look at reforms in Navy justice, but didn't recommend specific changes. In the early 1970s, during a period of racial unrest in the country and within the Navy itself, 
The head of the Navy, Admiral Zumwalt, is credited with a push to better integrate women and people of color into the service. Barber, the Navy's consultant, admits that many of the reports that followed have sat on the shelf, but he plans to stay on to administer their findings, which are based on dozens of focus groups held behind closed doors with sailors. We need to be able to continuously diagnose these things, look at those gaps and, and, and pres prescribe get well plans. We're continuously looking at culture over time so that way we can continuously make, make some progress. We don't want to keep talking about this stuff years and years from now. Rear Admiral Halsey, the leader of the task force, says a top priority now is to bring in more people of color and women into leadership roles. It's not a one and done. So imagine every six months, this, this issue is not going to go away. It's going to be a bit better than our, our training uh, throughout the, uh, the life of a sailor. And now senior leaders are going to be constantly engaged and pushing the third levers on this. And he says the problems won't go away because of a change in administration or the recent confirmation of the first African-American Secretary of Defense. For the Navy, it's all about readiness, he says. People who cannot trust one another cannot easily come together when it comes time to fight. Steve Walsh, KPBS News. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh. This weekend in the arts, we have some Super Bowl alternatives for you, and some of them can even involve sitting on your couch with snacks. On our radar this weekend is an afternoon of Vietnamese music, the Human Rights Watch Film Festival, and the nightly opera streams from the Met, featuring iconic black singers. Joining me is KPBS arts editor and producer, Julia Dixon Evans. And welcome, Julia. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me. Well, now, first up, earlier this week, we spoke about one of the filmmakers involved with the Human Rights Watch Film Festival. That film, Through the Night, is about a 24-hour child care center. What can you tell us about the other films in the festival, and how can we watch them? Yeah, so there's four other films we can also cover. One of the upsides to these virtual festivals is how easy it is for more casual viewers to decide last minute to tune in for some portion of it. So first up is Missing in Brooks County. It's a film that looks at the human toll of immigration policies in a Texas border county. There's an interior border patrol checkpoint and many migrants crossing the border have to navigate through the dangerous terrain in the desert to go around it, and hundreds die every year. We follow some of the families trying to find missing migrants and some of the human rights workers trying to help. 
The goal with this was to shut down the borders that were easier to cross to funnel people into the most dangerous terrain. And they knew there was going to be a large death toll, but they assumed that that would prevent more migrants from coming. And it didn't. Um, it funneled them into the most dangerous place to cross, and they never stopped trying to come. Texas now has surpassed Arizona in the number of migrant deaths. The National Institute of Justice came out with a report calling unidentified remains the nation's silent mass disaster. And that's from Missing in Brooks County. Another film is talking about trees, which is about a group of filmmakers and friends trying to pull off a public film screening in Sudan, where cinema has been banned for the 30 years prior. Next, there's I Am Samuel, which is based in Kenya, where anyone identifying as LGBTQ is criminalized. And we follow Samuel, a rural preacher's son, who finds solace in Nairobi's LGBTQ community and falls in love. There's also a free Q&A at 4 o'clock on Saturday with the director and human rights advocates. And finally, there's A Reckoning in Boston. One of the plot lines in this film follows Kathy Dixon, who is a woman trying to build a community garden and land cooperative, and she struggles against bias, racism, gentrification, and a city that keeps trying to shut it down. Dixon and the filmmaker James Rutenbeck will be part of the closing night panel on Saturday night at 7. The Human Rights Watch Film Festival screens five films on demand through Tuesday. You can buy tickets for individual films or get a festival pass for full access. Next, the Metropolitan Opera in New York is offering two weeks of nightly free streams of iconic opera performances featuring black opera singers. Julia, what stands out to you? So the Met Opera has been doing these nightly streams, and for Black History Month, they're dedicating two straight weeks of selections that feature these Black opera singers. And one that caught my eye is Saturday Nights, their acclaimed 1988 production of Ariadne auf Naxos by Strauss, with legendary soprano Jesse Norman as Ariadne. She just passed away in 2019. She went on to receive a National Medal of the Arts, Kennedy Center Honors, and five Grammys. I recently watched a scene from this production and I held my breath the entire time watching her sing. She's incredible. That's Jesse Norman in the Met Opera's Ariadna auf Noxus. And I don't often recommend streaming arts picks from out of San Diego, but this is a pretty special opportunity. And it's on demand, so you have from 4.30 on Saturday until 3.30 on Sunday to watch. So you could even also watch the Super Bowl when you're done. What a combination. The 1988 production of Ariadna of Naxos by Strauss, performed by the Metropolitan Opera in New York, streams for free Saturday evening. On Sunday, San Diego Center for World Music is hosting an event of the traditional music of Vietnam. Tell us more. Yeah, this is going to be really cool because they're bringing in composer and performer Van An Bo, who is known for her experimental takes on traditional Vietnamese music and instrumentation. Also dialing in will be ethnomusicologist Alexander Cannon, and they'll dig into Vietnamese folk music and its ties to resilience in the Vietnamese people. 
Va will perform several works, including some new pieces inspired by the pandemic and also earlier work. I especially love her piece, Three Mountain Pass, which really shows off her amazing vocals alongside a single instrument, the melodic hang drum. And the work's based on 18th century female Vietnamese poetry. That's Three Mountain Pass by Van An Va, who performs and discusses her work online through the Center for World Music Sunday at 2 p.m. It's free, but advanced registration is required. For more arts events or to sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS Arts Newsletter, go to kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS Arts editor and producer, Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, thank you. Thank you, Maureen. Have a good weekend. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.